This evening's scripture is from Joshua chapter 1, verses 10 through 18. And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, Pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, Prepare your provisions, for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go in and to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest, and you will give, and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers, and shall help them, until the Lord gives, them, or gives rest to your brothers as he has to you. And they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it, the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan towards the sunrise. And they answered Joshua, All that you have commanded us we will do, and wherever you send us we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandments and disobeys your words, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous." This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good evening. I'm Pastor Brooks Simpson. I am the lead pastor of Grace Community Church. My wife and I, Stacy, have been attending here every Sunday for the last 10 years since the downtown church opened. I usually don't preach, but I preach a lot now that Jason is on sabbatical. And I think he's got, what, five more weeks? So after tonight, four more so then you don't have to endure me or Josh or Zach or Andrew as often as you usually do. So he'll be back, be praying for him. This is a big deal for him to take sabbatical. Pray that God would be giving him rest, which is the topic of this evening's message. As we look at Joshua uh, taking Israel across the Jordan and they're to receive land and a promise of rest. So as we begin this message, I want to start out by just recognizing it's the start officially of summer. I know it's technically not summer, but Memorial Day weekend, that's when it all starts. We do the barbecues, we get our vacations planned, and it's a perpetual quest for rest. How many of you, when you take these vacations, after the vacation, you need a rest from the rest? Anybody? Okay, that's a pretty common thing. So Finding rest seems to be difficult. And I want to ask you this question. We'll come back to it later, but here's the question. How would you finish this sentence? I would be able to finally rest if what? I would be able to finally rest if what? Now that presupposes you're in a state of unrest. It presupposes that there's something that you need that you don't have. And then if you had it, then you'd be able to rest. I want you to think about that. We're going to look at the text this morning, or this morning, this evening, and we're going to look at four things from Joshua chapter 1, verses 10 through 18. First of all, the problem of restlessness. Actually, that's not found in the text. We're going to take a jump back into Genesis chapter 3 to see where this restlessness began. The problem of restlessness. Then we're going to take a look at the promise of rest. The promise of rest given to Joshua, given to the Israelite people, and by way of application through the gospel, also given to us. And then we're going to see the partial rest that they received when they took the land. They did receive a partial rest, but it was only temporary. 
And we're going to see how oftentimes the things that we think we need, the things that we have, when we get them, we'll have that rest. They provide rest for about 0.5 milliseconds and then we're restless again. And then we're going to take a look at a better rest, a better rest in and through the work of Jesus Christ. So if you would open up your Bibles to Joshua chapter 1, and please join me as we go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to open up your word. We thank you, Lord, that your word is a double-edged sword, and it cuts through heart, joint, marrow, and even to the very souls of our lives. And we pray, Father, that you would show us that you would show us the things which hinder us from receiving a Sabbath's rest. And we pray, Father, that you would speak to our hearts through the work of Jesus Christ and the scriptures, that we might be able to enter that rest, that we might be able to have the shalom peace that you promise through the work of Jesus Christ. Use the scriptures in Joshua chapter 1 and also Hebrews as we look there uh, tonight. And I pray that you would use the words that I speak and you would give me the words that, uh, that would bring edification to the body and rest for our souls as we point to Jesus. We pray this, that he might be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, first of all, let's take a look at the context. Last week, if you were here, uh, Zach, our worship director, walked us through verses 1 through 8 and God's command to Joshua to be strong and courageous. To be strong and courageous. So verse 9 You covered this last week. Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. That was last week. Now this week, we go on to the next verse. So Joshua makes a command. He commands the officers of the camp, the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions for within three days you are to pass over the Jordan to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. So it's moving day. Well, technically, it's moving week. Three days from this moment, he's going to take them across the Jordan. They're going into the promised land. And to the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, remember the word that the Moses, Moses, the servant of the Lord, God commanded you, saying, the Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. This is not the first time they've heard this promise. They were promised this 40 years earlier. They refused to go in at the time, but now it's time. Now it's time. So we have, we have this promise of rest. Now that presupposes that they're in a state of restlessness. For 40 years, they've been wandering. For 40 years, they've been wandering through the desert. God has been leading them. God has been feeding them. God has been providing for them. And supernaturally, their shoes have not worn out, their clothes have not worn out, and they've had water, they've had food, but there's a sense of restlessness. They're not where they're supposed to be. Now, this is representative of something which is fundamentally true for every human being on this planet and every person in this room, even the teeny tiny little babies and the very, very old people like myself. It is this. We are in a state of restlessness. And the question, before we get to the rest which is promised, is why? Why are we in the place where we're at, where we're constantly stressed, where we're constantly anxious, where we're constantly fearful? Well, it's difficult to find soul rest, deep soul rest, which brings shalom. Why? We have to go back to Genesis. The problem of restlessness, in the beginning, God created man. Male and female, he created them. God breathed life into Adam. He took Adam's rib out of the side. He created and fashioned Eve. He created them male and female. And there was unity. And there 
was shalom. There was peace and there was rest. They had a place. They were in a perfect environment, perfect environment, the Garden of Eden. They had fruit trees. They were commanded to cultivate the fruit trees and, and make them more fruitful. They were commanded to have dominion over the, over the land and they were in total unity. They had a place They had each other. There was perfect fellowship with Adam and Eve and they had their God. They had the presence of the living God and they walked with God. They communed with God, the triune God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, pre-incarnate Christ. They were with God continually and they were at rest. Now, that doesn't mean they were inactive. That doesn't mean they were inactive. You cannot be inactive if you're tending a garden. It doesn't mean they were napping all the time. They were working, but their work was not toil. Their work was not strenuous in the sense that it, it sucked the life out of them like many of your jobs suck the life out of you. They were not life-sucking, they were life-giving. The work they did was restful. It contributed to life-giving. It contributed to life-giving for a while. For a while. They had a place, they had each other, and they had the person of a triune God. And they had rest, and they had shalom. It was perfect. It was perfect. But in the midst of the garden, there were two trees, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. And they were commanded one prohibition, you shall not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For on the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. You will die. And Satan tempts them and they give in to that temptation. And they see that the, the, the fruit on the tree is pleasing to the eye and, and pleasing to the taste and, and desirous for making one wise. And so they took and Eve took and she ate. She gave some to her husband and he ate. And essentially by virtue of that act, they declared themselves to be independent of the triune God, the providing God, the creator God who gives them rest. And when you declare yourself independent from the God who provides and the God who cares and the God who gives you rest, unrest immediately follows. Immediately there's blame shifting and there's blaming on each other. There's shame, there's guilt, and they're banished from the place. They're exiled. They are kicked out of Eden. East of Eden, they're sent and a cherub guards the the garden with a flaming sword and bars entrance. And so now they are truly exiles and they begin to wander. They begin to wander. And it's not shortly thereafter that we see the first murder with Cain and Abel. And we see that there's not only unrest between in our souls, but there's unrest between siblings. There's unrest between husbands and wives. There's unrest between tribes. There's unrest between peoples. There's just no peace. We don't have it globally. We don't have it regionally. We don't have it in our neighborhoods. We don't have it ethnically. We don't have it in our our families. And we don't have it within our own hearts. We're just a restless people. We're a restless people. And that's the state in which Israel finds itself on this side of the Jordan before they cross. They're restless and they're given a promise, a promise of a place and a promise of rest. So this state of unrest, go back to the first question. I would be able to find rest if, what is it for you? We have what, at least five brand new parents here, five couples that are just brand, is that right? Five or four? Okay, some of you, the, the, the new parents are thinking, I will be able to have rest when that child sleeps through the night, right? It doesn't work that way. Just ask those who have children which are beyond that because it will be something else that will rob you of rest. 
Some of you, you're not in that stage. You're, you're single. You think, I would have peace. I would have contentment. I would have shalom, rest, and peace if I were in a relationship that could lead to marriage. Or I would be, have that rest if I could be in a relationship and then I was married. And some of you are married and said, yeah, but I would have true rest if I could change my spouse because they were awesome before, but now we're married and now they're not awesome and I want them to be different. And sadly, and this is a reality, many people think I would have rest if I could exit the marriage. In your age, some of you are thinking, if I could if I could just get into this particular graduate program, then I would have rest. If I could just get this degree and then I could get this job, then I would have rest. And then if I could just get this, this second job or, or if I get this house, if I could get that first new home or that second, that second home or, or the bigger car or the better job, if I could get that 401k or more of the thing or if I could have that one vacation a year or that two vacation. We're always looking for something just beyond our reach that we think if we could just get it. If we could just, now that's, once I got it, that's when I'd be able to rest. And for every single one of us, it's different. And you know by experience that once you get a hold of the one thing that you think you have to be able to have peace and rest, as soon as you get it, there's this feeling of, ah, and the feeling's gone. And now it's something else you need. Something else you need. And rest is so elusive. So elusive. So let's take a look at the promise of rest. The promise of rest. Pre-40 years. So this is on the first, the, the front end of the 40 years. This is before the 10 spies or the 12 spies have come back and they've given the report that the land's awesome, but only Joshua and Caleb are confident that they can take the land. And so this is before that rebellion. It's right after the golden calf and Moses has interceded for the people. And he says this, now, therefore, if I found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your nation. These people are your people. And he said, that is God, God said, my presence will go with you and you will have rest. Now that lets us in on a clue. God is promising to get them, give them rest, but what's the condition? What's the source of this rest? The key to this rest is not the place, but rather the presence of the living God. Moses had already stated earlier, he said, listen, if you're not gonna go with us, I'd rather stay in the desert. I'd rather be with you in the desert and have your presence than be in a place flowing with milk and honey without your presence. So the presence of God is the key to the promise of rest. That's on the front end. That's on the front end. But then... They get up to the Jordan. They send the 12 spies in. The 12 spies come back and say, it's true, the land is awesome. The land is awesome. It's flowing with milk and honey. Joshua and Caleb are like, we should go in and we should take it. God has promised that he will give us this land and he will give us rest. And the other 10 are like, no way. The cities are fortified. There's high walls. They have armies. They have chariots. And we, compared to them, are like grasshoppers. They literally have giants in the land really big people, really scary looking people. They're, they're terrible. There's no way, there's no way. And so they rebel and the rest of Israel says, we're not going. And God says, fine, you don't have to go, but you will wander in the wilderness and every one of you that's afraid to go in and cross, all of you will die in the wilderness and it will be your children, it will be your children that will actually cross in and take this promise. 
And that's where we find ourselves in the text that, was, that Andrew read. Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you saying, the Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. There it is again, this promise of rest. And they're obedient and they cross the Jordan and, and they march around Jericho seven times and the walls fall and they conquer Jericho. And then there's a little skirmish at IA and that didn't go so well, but then they write that and then, then they take the next city and the next city and the next battle and the next battle. And they, they almost sort of follow through with everything God commanded, but not quite. We'll get to that this summer when we look at Judges. And then they have rest, almost. I'm getting ahead of myself. This is what happens when you don't look at your notes and you just speak extemporaneously. There's a, command, there's a condition for this rest. There's a condition, and that is obedience. I jumped ahead to the obedience, but notice what the Israelites say. They answer Joshua, all that you have commanded, we will do. And whatever, wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, we will also be you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Okay, so I walked you through what their obedience was, but the condition of rest in order to experience the peace and rest that God will have for this nation, they have to trust God. They have to trust him. They didn't 40 years ago. Now they have to take him at his word and they have to actually obey. Trusting and obedience go hand in hand. This is not obey so then God will give you rest because he sees your obedience and now you earned it. But this is to experience the rest that you have that he has for you by grace through faith. You've got to trust him and do something to receive it. And that do something to receive it is to tip your foot in the Jordan and cross the Jordan and enter into the land. And they did. And they did. And that brings us to the partial rest that they received. So now we've leaped into the back of the book of Joshua at the very end. Many, many years have passed. Many, many battles. God has executed his judgment on the Canaanites, a wicked nation that he wanted to judge. And he chose to use Israel as the vessel of judgment. And now we see in Joshua 23, 1a, I've only shown you part of the verse, and there's a reason for that. It says, a long time afterwards, when the Lord had given rest, had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, and Joshua was an old man, well advanced in years, comma, and the verse goes on. Let's just take a poll. I, I don't think any of you here have memorized the book of Joshua. Most of you probably don't know what the second half of verse one says, but let's just take a poll. We'll see how many of you, how many of you think that the second half of verse one says, and they lived happily ever after. Any takers? You know better. You know better. It's never the way it works. They didn't live happily ever after. The rest was partial at best. Why? Look at the text. What did God give them rest from? Their enemies. Okay, this is a circumstantial rest. This is the, if I had this, then I would have peace. God give, gave them this. He gave them a plot of land and the inheritance is all divvied up in 12 tribes. He gave them land and he gave them, he gave them rest from their enemies. At this moment in their history, their enemies are not fighting against them. So there's a, a, there's a period of just, I can catch my breath. It's kind of like Memorial Day weekend. You've got that extra day. And you've, you, there's this awesome, it's a three-day weekend. I'm going to have rest. Yeah, until Tuesday comes. 
and you're back into the back into the way it used to be. So yeah, they have rest for a little bit, but it's only temporary. That's the way it always works. It's always temporary. So what's the point of Joshua? What's the point of Exodus? What's the point of being delivered from Egypt and bondage from Pharaoh if we're still we're still wandering around in the wilderness? What's the point of, of Joshua if we enter the promised land and the rest is only temporary? What is all this pointing to? Well, the author of Hebrews shows us in chapter 1 and 2 that Jesus is a better Moses. That Jesus is a better high priest. That Jesus is a better Joshua. Everything that we've looked at from Adam, he's a better Adam. Everything that we've looked at in this series, Living Stones, Every single page of scripture is pointing ahead to the death, the burial, and the resurrection, and the ascension, and the triumphal return of King Jesus. And Jesus is the one who gives us this rest. All of this is pointing forward. It can't, the land doesn't give peace. It doesn't give rest. Why? Because when they crossed into the Jordan, what crossed with them? Their restless hearts. The same restless hearts on one side of the Jordan crossed the Jordan and the same restless hearts were right there when they got to the other side. And that's why we don't have rest. When we get the things we want, our hearts are still restless. Our hearts have not been transformed. Our hearts have not been changed. It is not until the heart is radically transformed and radically changed that we can ever have true rest. So let's take a look at a better rest. Hebrews chapter 4 leapfrogging into the New Testament thousands of years later. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear. It's interesting. You don't often read that. You usually read, do not be afraid, right? But here the author says, oh, no, 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 you should be afraid. You should fear. Fear what? Fear that you would miss this rest. Fear that you would miss this rest. Let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For the good news came to us just as it is to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because those they were not united by faith to those who listen. Okay, who are the them? The them are the individuals who received the promise to enter Canaan and to receive that land and receive that rest, but they refused to go because they didn't have faith. This is the 10 spies and the whole nation of Israel who said, no, we will not cross. There's, there, the enemy is too great. They did not enter that partial rest, that partial rest. Now, jo, uh, the author of Hebrews is not talking about a partial rest. He's talking about a shalom, Sabbath rest, a real rest, a deep rest. He says, make sure that you do not receive it the way they did. They did not receive it by faith. Here's what he's saying. Every single person here is promised a deep Sabbath shalom rest that can never be taken from you regardless of your circumstances. You may not get land. You may not have the relationships you want. You may not have the health you want. You may not have the job you want, but you can have shalom, rest, and peace, but you've got to receive it by faith. You've got to receive it by faith. We jump ahead to verse eight. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from the works that God did for his from his. Okay, so God rested from his works. In six days, he created the world. and seven, he rested. He's offering each one of us a relationship with him so that we can finally rest. That does not mean that we become idle, but so that we can have peace, so that we can have shalom, 
so we can have all of the things that God provides for us. It starts in verse 10. Take a look. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. What does it mean to rest from my works? It doesn't mean that Brooks becomes idle. It means that Brooks stops trying to be his own savior. It means that you and I stop striving to provide for ourselves and be our own saviors. Morally, financially, ethically, relationally, that we begin to trust God to provide for us the things that we need. Stop trying to conquer the world. Stop trying to be your own righteousness and receive by grace through faith through what Christ has for you. Now, let's move on. Here's the final part of the sermon here. The meat of it. The most practical part. How? For Israel, it was literally take the ark, the priest carry the ark, and step into the Jordan flood stage. That's how you enter the rest. You got to walk and you got to step into the water. And as soon as they did, the water piled up miles and miles down the way. And they all walked through. They had to act on faith. They had to take a step of faith. They had to, ironically, they had to move to rest. They had to do something. They had to do something. So how do we enter this rest? Verse 11. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. Does anybody find that verse ironic? Is there some irony there? Do you see the irony? So the way to rest is to work. Strive is a working word. It doesn't just say walk, it means strive. Strive means that it implies that when you strive, there's resistance and you push through it. It sounds hard. It sounds hard. You strive, you push, you work, you strain, you strive so that you can rest. Some of you are thinking, that, that sounds exhausting. That sounds exhausting. To, to strive in order to rest seems counterintuitive. It's not. It's not. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Now look at verse 12. Look at verse 12. This is, where, this is what we're striving towards. Four. That links verse 12 to verse 11. Four. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of the soul and of spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Strive to enter that rest. So I was reading online recently. There's a new trend in church attendance post-COVID. It's, uh, it's you know, people were gradual to come back into the church because of fear, but also I think now it's not so much fear, but it's more of a, they just got into a habit of not being in fellowship with believers. And so there's a new trend among many believers that whereas they used to go to church very regularly, like, you know, four weeks out of a month or three weeks out of a month, now they're coming on at a rate of of once a month. And when asked, when asked, why aren't you reestablishing that pattern of fellowship that you had before, their answer is, it's the only day that my family and I have to rest. Does anybody see the irony there? It begs the question, what are you doing on Saturday? And what, 
what are you doing in your church that's so exhausting? It's not so much what they're doing in church which is so exhausting. It's what they're doing throughout the rest of the week that they have to catch up on on Sunday. There's all sorts of stuff going on. And they're striving at everything but entering his rest. So what does it look like to strive to enter his rest? How many of you have done this? It's a hard day at work. You're stressed out. You finally come home. You're like, oh, I just need to rest. Anybody do this? Three hours later. Three hours later. You've scrolled through Facebook and you've seen why Gary Barda needs to be fired. But he retired, so that's irrelevant now. You've seen why by, by Kirk Ferentz and why his son Brian, they should all be fired. You see why everybody should be fired. The Democrats definitely should be fired. The Republicans, they're horrible people. They should all be fired. Everybody needs to be fired. Everybody needs to be fired. And by three hours later, you're like, you know, my soul is refreshed. I just, I'm light on my feet. I just feel, I feel fed. I feel fed, right? Why are you laughing? No one says that. No one experiences that. You, that's not the way it works. It's not the way it works. This is a soul-sucking device that I carry around in my back pocket. And when I'm bored, I do that, right? <laughs> that's not striving. Or, or you get home, you turn on the TV, you hit Netflix, and you binge season one, two, and three of Uhtred's Last Kingdom. And your soul is just satisfied. Said no one ever. By the way, I'm not a, I am a fan of Last Kingdom. Destiny is Hall, by the way, according to Uhtred. But the point is, that doesn't give you rest. So what is the author of Hebrews saying here? It takes work to put this toxic device in a drawer and shut it off. You've got to strive to do that. The author of Hebrews in chapter 10 is going to say this later. He says, don't neglect meeting together as some people are in the habit of doing, but meet together continually so that you might encourage one another all the more so as you see the day approaching. You have to strive to make margin in your life so that you can draw near to God. This is what verse 12 is talking about. You've got to make margin, strive to take captive your day so that you can actually experience the presence and power of God. So Jason's on sabbatical right now. I was blessed to have my sabbatical a year and a half ago. And before I went on sabbatical, the summer before, I had coffee with Alex Ludvicek. Many of you know Alex. He's one of our missionaries. He flies a plane for MAF in Papua. And, and we were talking about just my sabbatical upcoming. And I was just talking about stress and talking about the lack of rest. And he says, oh, I just finished this great book. You've got to read it. So what is it? It's The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. By the way, write that down. If you've not read it, write down The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. The book is about how to strive, how to strive so that you might enter his 
rest. Now, that sounds counterintuitive. It's not. Listen, what did Jesus say in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 and 29? Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden or burdened. Now, what's the, what's the implication there? What's the, what's the assumption? You're tired. You need a nap spiritually. You need a rest. Come to me, all of you who are weary, and I will give you an iPhone, said Jesus, never. He didn't say that. He said, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. What does he say next? It sounds very counterintuitive, just like Hebrews chapter 11. He says, take my yoke upon you. Now, we don't really talk about yokes much. We're not an agricultural, I mean, in Iowa, I guess we're semi-agricultural, but uh, a yoke is something you place on a beast of burden so that they can pull something and do work. So Jesus is saying, you've got to take my yoke upon you. Now that automatically implies striving. Automatically. An oxen that has a yoke that's not striving is not doing anything productive. So there's assumption here that you're going to take his, but that sounds, again, it sounds, that sounds exhausting. If you need a nap, the last thing you want to do is put a yoke on and pull something, right? That doesn't sound, but Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, for I am gentle and lowly of heart, and learn from me, and you will find, wait for it, rest for your souls. But you've got to take his yoke, and you've got to learn from him, and you have to strive to do that. It takes work. It takes work. Doesn't that sound ironic? It takes work to rest, but it does. If you, if you don't intentionally, if we don't, never mind you like I'm preaching to you. I've been trying, Stacy and I have been trying to do the practice of a Sabbath, keep a Sabbath on a regular basis and fail miserably most of the time. Because this is really hard work to, to create margin in your life so that you can actually experience the presence and power of God. So the ruthless elimination of hurry, the title is borrowed from another author by the name of Dallas Willard. Dallas Willard is, uh, he passed away in 2014, I think. He was a philosophy professor in USC. Uh, He's written a ton of great books, The Divine Conspiracy, The Great Omission, Renovation of the Heart, Spirit of the Disciplines. I read all of those again on my sabbatical. Fabulous, fabulous. And there was one particular guy named John Ortberg. He's a pastor in, in Chicago many, many years ago. And he, uh, unlike Jason and unlike myself, his elders came to him and said, John, you're taking a sabbatical. And he says, I don't need a sabbatical. No, you misunderstood. We're not asking you what you need. You're going on sabbatical. You have issues. Deal with them. So they, they made him take a sabbatical that he did not want to take. So that's very different from Jason and I, right? So... He knows Dallas Willard, and, and, and he used to be a pastor in California, and so that's how he got to know him. So he goes out, and he flies out to California to spend some time in Dallas Willard's living room just to talk to this old man, this wise old man. He said, Dallas, I'm just so frustrated. I'm so frustrated with my church. He explained the situation. He says, what, what, what does my church need? Dallas, a very way different than me. He's very soft-spoken. He's not a hyper-spaz. He sits back and he very calmly says, John, what your church needs 
is for you to organize your life in such a way that every moment of every day you experience the presence and the power of Christ. And John says, I've got a quiet time. I need to know what my church needs. He says, John, what your church needs is for you to organize every moment of every day of your life so that you experience the presence and the power of God. And you need to ruthlessly eliminate hurry. What Dallas Willard very gently and calmly said is you need to strangle anything which is preventing you from drawing near to Jesus. You need to violently, violently create margin. I did this in the first service and I got all excited and I was like, anything that prevents you from having fellowship with God. And I thought, oh, there's spouses that think their spouse is preventing them from having fellowship with God. So I backed up. No, so this isn't strangling a person. This is strangling your iPhone. This is taking every thought captive. This is taking control of your life and not being controlled by life. Do you understand the difference? It's so easy to just get swept up in the moment. You go to work, you come home for work, you just do what you do and what the culture does. And consequently, you never experience that rest. And you let everything push out the margin in your life. What does this look like practically? It, it looks like having fellowship together. It looks like getting together. It looks like having dinner together with people. It looks like, it looks like getting away alone and spending an hour in the word. It looks like taking a whole day and just being alone with the Bible and a journal. It looks like the daily discipline of reading the scriptures every morning or every afternoon or every evening. It looks like the daily discipline of prayer. It looks like the daily discipline of fellowship. It looks like, it looks like discipline. Do you see that? It looks like discipline. It looks like striving. It looks like work. And in a way it is. It's not idleness. If you think that rest equals laying down and doing nothing, that's not it. That's idleness. Now, in the garden, they were very busy. They were very active, but they were never hurried. And they were never stressed. Why? Because they were continually experiencing the presence and power of God moment by moment. And they were continually enjoying one another every single moment. And there was shalom and there was peace. And Christ is offering that to each and every one of us. Each and every one of us. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart. Where does it start? If you're not in Christ, it starts by receiving Christ as your Savior. It starts by coming to Christ and admitting, I've been trying to be my own Savior. I'm a sinner. I've fallen short of the glory of God. And Lord, I need your grace. I need your mercy. I need your forgiveness. I need your righteousness. Jesus, save me from my sins. That's what it's, it starts with that. That simple cry of faith is, is the means by which, not the prayer itself, but the faith, is the means by which you receive the grace of God. And you become a child of God. And you enter into that fellowship with him. And be baptized. Declare your union with him. That means tell your family, this church family, I'm one of you. I'm a follower of Christ. I have the Holy Spirit. And I am committing to you as a follower of Christ that I will help you enter rest and I need you to help me enter that rest. Because I'm tired. 
And it also means this. It means that for those of us who have received Christ and we've been walking with him for years, it means that we continue to strive to experience that rest and join in mission with one another so that you can bring rest to the culture and the world that is completely restless and lost without Jesus. I gotta make a confession. Yesterday, I, I've been, I hadn't preached at Oakdale Prison since pre-COVID. And they said, hey, you can come back and preach. I'm like, oh, I don't, I love to preach the gospel, but it's, they always do it on a Saturday. That's, that's when I play. That's when I do stuff that's non-ministry. I don't want to do that. I want to play in the garden. I want to go on a bike ride. So I'm like, okay, show up and I walk in and there's these 50 inmates and they're singing the gospel. They're singing songs in Spanish. They're singing them in English. And all of a sudden, my soul is at rest. If given my own free will, I choose to scroll through Facebook for an hour as opposed to sing songs about Christ with prison inmates. You see how easy it is to not experience rest when you just go with the flow? Now, by the way, I'm not advocating that I should preach at the prison every Saturday or I should do this for Jesus every single moment. No, you have to listen to the Holy Spirit and that's part of it. When you, when you, when you create margin in your life to listen to the presence and power of Christ, you know when not to speak at the prison. You know when to say no. It's, um, it's not time to be in community group right now. You know when to say no. It's not time for me to volunteer to, to be on the setup team in the downtown church. Both like, no, stop, stop. <laughs> no, you, you start to listen to the Holy Spirit though. And, but ironically, here's what happens. As you strive to enter his rest, more things get done for the cause of Christ. Than before, when you're running around like a chicken with your head cut off, trying to guilt trip everybody into serving. It all comes down to drawing near to Jesus. Sounds simple, doesn't it? Well, it is. But simple's not the same thing as easy. Because these restless hearts, we have a new heart. If you're in Christ, you've been given a new heart in Christ. But we still have this flesh, and it's used to doing things the old way. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and we thank you for the fact that you have given your life for us that we might have this shalom rest. Jesus, oh man, you're gentle and lowly of heart. Give us the rest that you promised and give us the, the faith to strive. Not to strive to earn something, but this, this, the, the faith to strive to receive what you've already freely given us that's ours for the, for the taking, for the experience. I pray that each person here, Spirit, that you'd speak to them specifically about maybe things that they need to eliminate that are preventing them from experiencing that rest or, or maybe things they need to add to their lives that would help them experience your presence and your power that they might rest. And Father, I pray for this church. I pray for Jason, Lord, as he is on sabbatical. Give him this rest. Speak to his heart, him and Dolly and the family. Lord, we pray this, that you might be exalted that this church might be edified and that we might help others in this community 
enter into that Sabbath rest. In Jesus' name, amen.